While the overwhelming majority of cars on the road are gas-powered, we are in the early stages of an electric vehicle revolution with new developments happening all the time. I'm Robert Colangelo, and this is GreenSense, where we bring you eco-innovations. And we're joined by our old friend, Consumer Guide Automotive publisher, Tom Appel, with our green automotive news. Tom, welcome back to GreenSense. Thanks for having me. Uh, I remember when we first started doing this, maybe eight or nine years ago, there was not a lot of news, but boy, is there so much news out there on EVs and green vehicles. So we got a lot to cover here today. Um, so I'm sure you keep busy on your day-to-day job just covering this. We really do. Yeah. And I get a lot of calls about this, but one of the big stories that, uh, one of the big questions that I get on a regular basis is, is the chip shortage, the microchip, the global microchip shortage, slowing down the development and delivery of electric vehicles? I get that question a lot. And what is it, Tom? It seems, yes, but not as much. It seems manufacturers, especially Volkswagen and Ford, that both have new important products, Volkswagen, the ID4 small crossover, and Ford, the Mustang Mach-E small crossover, are putting a lot of uh, importance behind delivering those vehicles so that the other vehicles are suffering in their lineups right now, not being delivered, but they want to get these EVs out. They've made the noise. They've gone to the press. People are starting to test drive those vehicles. So they want to make sure that they don't back off the pedal right now. Well, since you mentioned it, let's talk a little bit about chips. Uh, you know, the, the, we hear it all the time. The mass media has made a big deal out about, about this chip shortage. How many chips are used in the average car and truck? I hear a lot of different numbers and an average is hard to come by, but the closest thing I can hear is about 40 per vehicle uh, and they do different things and then always the same chip, but they get, the number gets much higher in luxury vehicles. Wow. I am surprised that it's that high. I only thought there was one chip. Uh, when you think about a computer, you, <laughs> there's probably one chip per uh, computer. Why would you need so many chips? There are a lot of different management systems. The, the, Drivetrain requires one for the engine, one for the, the fuel injection system, one for the transmission, one to coordinate those efforts. There's probably separate emission controls uh, systems and functions. So a lot of stuff. And then the infotainment system, a thing that has grown in, in capability exponentially in the last few years, uh, uses a lot of chips. So how real is the computer chip shortage and how much is that uh, creating a shortage of new, new vehicles? Uh, it's huge. What, what we're going to see this year uh, is amazing. We should normally see in a pre-pandemic year about 17.5 million vehicles delivered in the U.S. Uh, Cox Automotive is, is estimating 11.8 this year. Whoa, so, that's serious. Deliveries, yeah. And is it one certain type of chip or is it all the different chips that are short? Um, all of them are short. Interestingly, Automotive chips generally are easier and less expensive, easier to produce and less expensive than those used in things like an iPhone. Um, and for that reason, too, there may be a lack of alarm on the part of chip makers who have all the orders they need right now to deliver these easier to build cheaper chips uh, when they're delivering an awful lot of expensive chips. Can't say that 10 times fast, can you? Cheaper chips? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, the chip shortages even impacted us. There's a, uh, uh, a media pool in which we get our cars to test drive, but that has slimmed down because of the chip shortage. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, uh, it, it, indeed. Um, Consumer Guide Automotive is one of the many automotive media outlets, and, and we test drive vehicles primarily presented to us by manufacturers. And that pool of vehicles has indeed shrunk 
as a result of, uh, of the pandemic and the chip shortage. And how's that impacted your business? Um, we were doing okay. We, we get enough vehicles that we're still getting enough content out of it. But yeah, it would be handy to get one more vehicle or two more vehicles a week here at Consumer Guide. Well, this is a big problem. If they're down almost 7 million cars in production, are the auto manufacturers coming up with creative ideas to work around the chip shortage? Yeah. One of the interesting things that General Motors has done is produce the vehicles anyway. So they're sitting, General Motors is currently sitting on about 100,000 undelivered Silverados. That's the big, large uh, half-ton pickup truck um, for which they need to install chips. However, it looks like they're going to have chips for these vehicles by the end of the year. So there will be, if you're looking for a Silverado, it's going to get a little easier earlier next year. (laughs) Interesting. So, uh, well, we'll keep our uh, eyes on that. And of course, you'll have a pulse. You have your finger on the pulse of the industry. Well, there's a lot of other news to talk about besides chips. And some of the uh, positive stories out there is one by uh, Hyundai Motor Company, uh, South Korea's top automaker. According to the Korea Herald, they said Tuesday, its annual sales of eco-friendly vehicles will likely exceed 100,000 units uh, this month. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, you know, you don't always think of Hyundai and Kia as being, and and Kia is a division of Hyundai. You don't think of those companies as being technological innovators, but in fact, they are. And they had a few missteps with hybrids early on. They did, the hybrids they delivered really weren't. Um, as smooth operating as, say, those from Toyota. But they've done well since then. I've driven some great Hyundai hybrids, including the one in the new Tucson. Uh, and they're starting to deliver uh, electric vehicles. So they've got electric vehicles they're building now, plus two beautiful cars coming soon. Uh, it's the Kia EV6 and the Hyundai Ioniq 5 that look to be really exciting. I'm, I'm looking forward to driving those. Now, have they worked around the trip shortage or are they doing what you talked about earlier? They're giving preference to their uh, EV and hybrid cars. They're probably doing all of those things, but Hyundai seems to be one of the companies that isn't as affected by the chip shortage. So they may have secured a better supply line um, or didn't back off their orders as a result of the pandemic to the degree that other makers have. Well, let's talk about another area that we really have never covered before, and that is uh, police departments. And it looks like uh, the police departments from coast to coast have been adding EVs. And uh, the uh, police department in Fremont, California, added a Tesla, a used one, uh, uh, to their vehicle fleet. They outfitted it as a standard cruiser. The Eden Prairie, Minnesota Police Department put a Tesla Model Y into service this past summer. Uh, to replace a Dodge Charger, and they did it because they expect to see lower maintenance costs. Uh, Thoughts on this? Yeah, this is exciting, and it'll be interesting to see if these vehicles hold up to the duty cycle. They should, because there's a lot of EVs being developed right now for heavy-duty use, including delivery, like for companies like Amazon.com. So it would seem that a vehicle, an electric vehicle, could probably get in two shifts a day, providing that the, the, the police station Uh, is equipped with a level three charger. And that's one of the things that's probably um, part of this experiment. Do they need to charge it often enough? Do they need to install special charging? Um, And starting with one or two used cars is a great way to start, but ultimately they will probably have to make a capital commitment. I would think police cars don't drive a lot of miles in a day uh, so that they they should probably be able to, uh, uh, you know, get a a lot of use out of of a charge. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, absolutely. And one of the things we're learning about like delivery vehicles, for example, um, 
big delivery vans is they don't drive that far. So they can get by with relatively small and relatively affordable batteries. A police department should experience the same thing. If it's not a highway patrol car, they don't drive that far. So idling doesn't use much of a battery. Um, it, it, it could work very well in that application. So we'll keep an eye on that one too. Well, uh, both being Chicago boys and uh, it is the season for IPOs and one of our Chicago companies, Portillo's, just did an IPO. I don't know if you're aware of that. I was but, not aware, <laughs> but I am a longtime Portillo's patient. Right. Well, I wish I got in at $20 a share. It's already up to 42 Well, Rivian's doing an IPO. They're the electric truck manufacturer that's really giving Tesla a run for the money. And uh, it's seeking a market valuation of $54.6 um, billion. That's, that's amazing how quick we've gone into the billions and trillions and surpassed the millions. Um, they're offering 135 million shares priced between 57 and $62 a share. Uh, and they're backed by Amazon and Ford. And they've got some pretty good company they're hanging around with. Yeah. Anyone who, who invests at this point or think that they're going to see that $55 billion uh, market cap probably believes in the future of this, of this company. Because right now, the, the fundamentals really don't work out. They have a contract to build 100,000 vehicles for Amazon.com over a 10-year period, and their product has yet to be delivered. I think they've maybe got a few of their new R1T pickup trucks in the hands of consumers. But for the most part, this is a very promising company, as you noted, that Amazon and Ford have money um, backing this company. But $54 billion would make it the same size in cap value as Honda, which, which, which clearly... The, the fundamentals don't work, but the optimism does. But you could say the same about Tesla and their, their stock continues to soar. Uh, so it, to me, it's uh, mind boggling when you look at these numbers and these valuations. Uh, so again, we'll have to keep our eye on that. Yeah, and, and I don't, I'm, I'm actually very optimistic about Ruby's future. It's just the numbers aren't there yet. Yes. Well, we've talked forever about the Giga Press, and uh, so let's get into it today. Uh, <laughs> Tesla uh, actually has a number of Giga Presses, one an 8,000 ton that they plan to use on the Cybertruck. They've got a uh, 12,000 ton that they plan to use on the Model Y, and they, they uh, uh, also are talking about uh, using a Giga Press on the upcoming uh, compact $25,000 Tesla, that will be able to stamp the body in a single piece. Now the Gigapress isn't just a stamp. I've watched a couple of YouTube videos and it looks like they inject molten aluminum and then stamp it. So walk us through, Tom, what is the Gigapress? How does it work and why is it such big news? Yeah, full disclosure, I don't generally watch manufacturing. So I appreciate you pointing this out to me uh, because I did too. I watched a lot of the YouTube videos and it's a fascinating uh, it's a fascinating and elegant solution to a lot of problems on the manufacturing floor. But as you noted, it is, it is a single press that can create a very complicated shape using molten aluminum uh, and a mold. And, and this complex shape can be used to replace shapes that had once been multiple parts. And in this case of the Tesla Model Y, they're replacing the rear substructure onto which the suspension is bolted and that's often a very complicated piece. It used to be 70 separate pieces. It is now one structural piece. The advantages there are huge. Reduce complexity, reduce, uh, reduce robotics needed on the, load, on the manufacturing floor and, and ultimately reduce cost. Now there are some downsides too though. And what are the downsides? The downsides are interesting. Um, 
it would be very difficult to change that device. So if you wanted to change any of it, even a little bit, you'd have to end production, take the press apart and build a new, uh, a new die for that. And that's a complicated and expensive thing to do. Additionally, once produced, if something damages that rear end, you probably have to total the vehicle because it would be very difficult to repair. Interesting. And cars crash all the time. So I, I wonder how they're going to work around that one. <laughs> uh, to me, I was just amazed at how that goes into production. Whenever you inject that aluminum, I can't imagine that it's used completely uh, when, when it's stamped. Do they have to clean the press between iterations? Uh, you know, how, how does that flow and work in a process situation? Actually, as far as I can tell, much of that aluminum is salvaged and reused. So that's good news. Uh, additionally, device seems to be pretty long lasting. But another downside is that over time, the amazing heat and pressure does wear the die itself. So it does wear out after some number of presses. Um, so, so this sounds pretty interesting. Uh, and we'll, we'll keep an eye on that and see, see how that works. But I am concerned as you said, with these uh, accidents that, that are going to happen, you know that that's inevitable. Uh, and so how are they going to plan around that? And totaling a car doesn't seem like a good solution. No, and ultimately that'll have an impact on insurance costs. But on the other hand, it might work out and reduce manufacturing costs and maybe a lower you know, MSRP. Yes. Well, I wanted to end on a story I saw. I didn't do a lot of research on it. I don't know how much you know, but I saw that Ford is offering an, uh, an e-package, an engine, a drivetrain, an inverter, and a battery so that you could retrofit any ICE internal combustion engine car. And uh, what, what caught my eye is they debuted this in a 1970 Ford F-150, uh, and they electrified it uh, as, as a, uh, I guess, a prototype uh, or, or a demonstration. What have you heard about this? And do you think this will take off for those do-it-yourselfers that want to make their car an electric? This is super interesting. And surprisingly, it's super controversial. <laughs> of, <Ford> course. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> Ford launched a, a show car called the F100 Illuminator at the SEMA uh, parts specialty show in Las Vegas this year. And, and the vehicle itself is, is a 74 Chevy, or sorry, Ford pickup truck. And the big deal is that they've lowered it and they've replaced the gasoline engine with a version of this, of this crate motor that you can buy from Ford now. Um, and it seems to work very well. What's controversial is that collector car owners and the collector car community seems to be pretty upset about the idea of replacing gasoline engines with electric motors. But on the other hand, it's probably an easier swap. If you want to get into this and you don't have the money to, to rebuild and maintain and try to tune an electric motor, you'll have this nearly problem, trouble-free electric motor that you could slot in there. And it's even relatively affordable. The whole package is about $4,000. Oh, that's incredible. Uh, and, and it's fast. <laughs> yes. Yeah, the base setup is 281 horsepower, which doesn't sound like a whole lot when you talk about electric cars, performance cars, but electric cars develop all their torque right away. And this package is relatively light. Well, one of the things that I do know is when you look at electric cars, they spend a lot of time protecting those batteries, making sure they're, they're in a watertight container and they can withstand a crash. So I don't know how you do that when you retrofit a car. Is that an issue? Um, you're going to receive um, a battery uh, package, basically, that is sealed. So placement is important. And in, in, in something like this, you might want to hide it in the bed where it's best protected. You may not want to hang it underneath the vehicle. 
Well, Tom, uh, we covered a lot of ground today. It's always a pleasure to talk to you and you continue to be uh, just a fountain of information. Uh, thanks for joining us and I'll look forward to uh, our conversation in a couple of weeks. I'm looking forward to it. That's Consumer Guide Automotive publisher, Tom Appel. He's also the host of the podcast, Car Stuff. I'm Robert Colangelo and this is GreenSense. Subscribe to our podcast at greensensefarms.com and check out the GreenSense Minute Thursdays and Saturdays on News Radio 105.9 WBBM Chicago.